Uncommon Commons is a horror anthology podcast written by George Plank and Alex Vitale. Content warnings can be found in the episode description. Today's story is Spinning Gears, written by Alex Vitale. Isn't this much better? A nice, simple game of chess. I don't know, Jane. A game without a single snake or shoot? I don't think it can be done. I know, I know. But look at this piece. It's a little horsey. And this one is a robot overlord. Did I say overlord? I meant protector. That's a bishop. Oh, I'm sorry, your eminence. (laughs) I'm sure your sins are forgiven. Moving on. All my sins? Moving on. So bishops can move diagonally in any direction, as many squares as desired. They can also excommunicate pawns. Okay, I'm with you so far. Rooks, that's these little castle pieces over here, can move in straight lines. Isn't a diagonal a straight line? Not like that. What about the horse pieces? That's a knight. Jane, from my experience, knights usually ride on the horses. They move in L shapes. More straight lines! They all move in different variations of straight lines, yes. And the queen, uh, this one is the queen, can move however you want her to. In a parabola? No. In a sine wave? No. Exponential to the origin? Now you're just making things up. She can use the moves of any other piece on the board. Will the straight lines ever cease? At least tell me the king does something cool. Oh, he does. Finally. If he dies, the game ends. Typical. I know, the bourgeois are so dramatic. Oh, one more thing. If a pawn makes it to the other side of the board, it becomes a queen. Good for them. Live your truth. It's a very inclusive game. Think you're ready to play now? Ready as I'll never be. But first, don't you think you should read your story? Why now? I mean, it's been two weeks. And you know what they say. No time like the moment you read mail to read mail. That is what they say. Fine, I'll read my story while we play. I can do two things at once, unlike some people we know. If they didn't want me to get distracted, then why would they print the jokes right on the wrapper? It's a choking hazard. Ezra Milne was a boy of many talents. He was a skilled artist, and he could recite the entirety of the Book of Genesis in Latin. He was a voracious reader, and at the top of his class in his year. He was, too, the reigning chess champion at Mount St. Bartholomew Academy for Boys. Ezra prided himself on this fact. His mother, in her letters to him, warned that pride was one of the seven deadly sins, and that while she was terribly proud of him, he really shouldn't boast. Ezra, in his replies, would assure her that he was as humble as ever. In the privacy of her own home, reading those letters by firelight, that was exactly what worried her. Ezra's lack of humility didn't worry his classmates, but it did make them outright dislike him. Behind his back, they'd snicker and call him a snob or a prude, and to his face, they'd call him a know-it-all or an egghead. The name-calling didn't seem to bother Ezra, though. He was quite content by himself, and ostracization from his schoolmates did not faze him in the slightest. After all, they couldn't possibly begin to understand him. All those boys cared about was rugby and blowing their allowances. No, no, Ezra was perfectly fine on his own. All he needed was the occasional opponent to best. It was one foggy December evening that the students of Mount St. Bartholomew's gathered in the dining hall after dinner. Ezra was not invited to this council, as its members chattered in the corner. 
He simply sat on the other side of the room, reading a novella that his mother had sent him in her last care package. Despite his best efforts, though, Ezra could still hear bits and pieces of their jabbering. "'I'm telling you, that thing moves on its own,' hissed Henry, gesticulating so enthusiastically that he nearly knocked over his cup. "'It's mad! Have you ever seen something like that in your life?' said Clyde, leaning halfway over the table. "'And to think, quiet little Joey made that all on his own.' The boys, of course, were chittering about Joseph Twain's mechanical man. The automaton had been the talk of the school since Joseph debuted in late November. Word on the street was that thing was fully automated and could move on its own. It could wave its arms, move its fingers, even blink its glassy eyes. Most impressively, though, it could play games. Chess, specifically. All the boys at school thought the mechanical man was the greatest thing on the planet, and even the teachers gossiped about it in their lounge. The mechanical man was so amazing, they said, that it had beaten the former chess champion of Mount St. Bartholomew's, William Frank. Oh, please, Ezra grumbled, standing up out of his seat at the opposite table and making his way to the group of boys. Patrick is older than this country. You don't know what you're talking about, Milne, argued Clyde, leaning against Joseph. Joey here is a genius. More like a liar, Ezra retorted. I know exactly how that trick works. I read it in a book once. Oh, he read it in a book. It must be true, Ezra fumed. Yet Joseph remained silent. I did, and it is. He creates this big puppet thing, and someone hides under the table and moves it around so it can play games. He didn't make an automaton, he made a hoax. A hoax? You're kidding me, right? Clyde bit back, intent on defending his friend's honor. You're just jealous because the machine could beat Will Frank and you couldn't. Ezra felt his face begin to burn. I could too. I could too beat Will. I just didn't get a chance before he before he left. Yeah, right. I could too, insisted Ezra. I could beat anyone. I could beat you. I could beat Will. I could even beat that stupid machine. Do it then, Joseph said. The room went quiet. Even Ezra's flame went out. Joe, Joe never talked. Regardless of what you thought of his mechanical man, if Joseph talked, you listened. It was a moment before Ezra found his voice. Do what? Beat my machine. Play a game with it. Why would I go and do a thing like that? I just told you that I know it's fake. Joseph ignored him, standing up to meet Ezra's eyes. So it shouldn't be a problem, right? Right, replied Ezra, suddenly confident. Of course he could beat some stupid, fakey automaton. He could beat anyone at chess, even a grandmaster. It's settled, then, Joseph spit into his hand, extending it towards Ezra. It's a deal, then. If you win, you keep your title. If I win, you lose your title. Ezra's eyes lowered to look at Joseph's bony hand, and then slowly met his eyes once again. When I win, you dismantle that hunk of junk. Joseph fell silent once again, keeping his even, unblinking gaze locked on Ezra. His gaze, Ezra noted, seemed kind of cold, like the eyes of a dead fish. He pushed his spectacles up the bridge of his nose out of a nervous habit. After a moment, though, the silence broke, and Joseph slowly nodded. All right. Deal. The boys shook hands, with an agreement that the game would be played the next day after lessons. As Joseph took his seat once again, a flash caught Ezra's eye. Joseph bore a small lapel pin on his school jacket, small enough that most instructors wouldn't notice. To Ezra, it looked like a snake. From a distance, it was hard to tell, but it looked like it was eating itself. Ezra didn't much like that pin, 
Regardless, they went their separate ways. When Ezra returned to his dorm, he drafted a letter to his mother, said his prayers, and went to sleep. As Ezra arrived at the empty lecture hall where he was to play, he was alight with confidence. A handful of students mingled about, prattling on amongst themselves. Ezra paid little attention to their conversation as he crossed the room, though he could pick up on buzzwords such as machine and milne, and worst of all, loser. The mechanical man sat at a wooden card table that had been set up in the middle of the room. The first thing Ezra noticed, much to his surprise, was that nothing was covered. Every mechanism was on full display. Every turn of a gear could clearly be seen in all its metallic glory. The automaton wore no long robe or coat to hide its puppeteer, and the table bore no cloth. The hairs on the back of Ezra's neck prickled. A wave of coldness washed over him. Aware of eyes on him as he passed, Ezra tried to maintain a confident stride as he approached the table. The closer he got, the more details he could make out on the mechanical man. Emblazoned on its forehead was that same strange symbol that Joseph had on his lapel pin, and the closer Ezra looked at the machine, the more those little emblems seemed to pop up, woven into every detail of the automaton. Even the spinning gears displayed it, engraved serpents slowly consuming themselves in an ever-repeating circle. What seemed most odd to Ezra, though, was a file inlaid in the chest of the automaton. It was long and thin, spanning the machine's entire torso. The glass was thick and tinted brown, but through the stain a thick, brownish liquid could be made out. It was stagnant and dangerously close to low. It must have been oil, powering the gears. Maybe the hunk of junk will stop working mid-game, Ezra thought smugly. That would spoil the illusion. He took his seat across from the automaton. Someone had already set up a chessboard, and on either side a bell had been placed. As Ezra sat down, the automaton made no movement. Its strange, glassy eyes blinked with metal eyelids, but beyond that it made no move, nor did it seem to recognize Ezra's presence. It made sense, he supposed, for whoever was puppeteering the thing probably couldn't see Ezra very well. By 6.01, Joseph had finally made his appearance. He sauntered into the makeshift stage with a detached kind of confidence, stopping once he reached the table. He spared a passing glance to Ezra, and then honed in on his own creation. Those cold, fishy eyes lingered momentarily on the file at the automaton's chest, and just as quickly flicked back to Ezra. You remember our deal? Ezra sniffed indignantly. Of course I remember. When I win, you dismantle that thing. If you win, said Joseph evenly, and if you lose, you give up your title. Like it's even a question. It was, in fact, a question. This lesson Ezra learned rather quickly as the game began. Even among the students who disliked Ezra Milne, it was an indisputable fact of Mount St. Bartholomew's that he was an extremely talented chess player. He was clever and deceptive, and practically lived and breathed strategy. Even so, the automaton was matching him play for play. It moved like the little figures on a cuckoo clock, stiff and methodical in every bent joint. Yet even over the whirring of its components, the automaton had a purposeful and familiar movement to it. Something akin to déjà vu nagged at the back of Ezra's mind as he played against this mechanical monstrosity. Every move it made seemed to replicate something he'd seen before, something he'd been taught. It picked up its night piece and placed it gently on one of the black squares. One of Ezra's pawns was now claimed as its own. He eyed the thing suspiciously, though it showed no indication that it saw him. Its gears just whirred and whirred, and the file on its chest emptied a little further. No matter what piece Ezra moved, no matter what traps he tried to lay, Joseph's creation seemed to anticipate it. By half an hour in, both Ezra and his competition were missing half their pieces. His heart pounded heavily in his chest. 
for all his confidence, for all his prowess, it seemed that Ezra Milne had met his match. And it didn't even have flesh. The clock was ticking down, as the boys in the now dwindling crowd were growing restless. Most had stopped paying attention to the game long ago, and had returned to chit-chat among themselves. Heavy droplets of sweat trickled down the back of Ezra's neck, and an incessant buzzing rang in his ears. One of his hands white-knuckled the card table. The automaton, never once breaking its hollow eye contact with Ezra, calmly moved its bishop. Checkmate, Joseph said patiently, leaning over Ezra's shoulder. That same frigid feeling ran through Ezra's blood. He shot up from his seat, nearly overturning the table and the board in the process. The automaton did not start or move. It merely set its hand back down by its side and sat idle in its chair. Ezra clambered away, whipping around to face Joseph. He had a million things he wanted to say, a million barbed insults to hurl at the boy. When he turned, though, he found no gloating in Joseph's face. There was no smugness, not even a hint of pride. He was as impassive as ever. His lapel pin glinted in the flickering lights of the classroom. Ezra shoved him out of the way and broke into a dead sprint out into the hall. His schoolmates jeered lazily as he passed. Ezra paid no attention to the calls of sore loser as he tore out of the lecture hall. He paid no attention to where he was going. He raced down the hallways of the empty school building, blindly running with his emotions. Sickening humiliation filled his belly, and tears pricked at the corners of his eyes. Bursting through the door of a random classroom, he flung himself to the corner and slumped against the wall. He beat his fists against his head, and he tore his spectacles from his face and threw them across the room. His fists went to his hair and pulled hard. Then, Ezra let his tears flow free. He didn't know how long he'd cried, but by the time he was done, he felt wrung out. Wiping his nose on his sleeve, Ezra curled up in on himself and pressed his head to his forearm. Exhaustion overtook him. All he wanted to do was go back to his dorm room and sleep until the end of time. As he wallowed in his own misery, the heat in his cheek suddenly drained, and the room was awash with freezing air. Ezra sniffed pathetically, lifting his head to glare at Joseph. What do you want? You won. I lost, right? That's it. Joseph stepped into Ezra's personal space, staring down at him. Ezra waited a moment, but Joseph said nothing. Ezra stood up, anger bubbling in his chest, and shoved Joseph backward. You here to take my title, huh? You've already won, just leave me alone. Ezra shoved at him again, but this time Joseph took a step towards him. He slipped something from his pocket. His lapel pin glinted in the filtered moonlight. What he held had been long banned in Mount St. Bartholomew's, ever since John Hastings had pulled one on a teacher. It pressed into Ezra's stomach with a sharp pain and a pop, and Joseph twisted it into his belly. Ezra didn't hear himself scream, not over the sound of rushing blood in his ears. Joseph drove his pocket knife deeper and deeper until he seemed to get tired. Then he shoved Ezra, stumbling backwards over desk chairs. He fell hard with a thud and a clatter, his head smacking hard against the floor. Static and fuzz filled the periphery of his vision as Ezra opened his eyes. He could just make out the blurry silhouette of a scrawny, bony young boy leaning over him. In his hand, the boy held a dusty file. Callously, he dipped it into the steady flow of blood leaking from Ezra's stomach. The file was filled and capped, wiped clean on Ezra's shirt, and then tucked away neatly in Joseph's jacket. Deal is sealed, and you've lost, he said flatly. Ezra's vision darkened further, and Joseph's monotone voice sounded far off. This will take us to the next champion, at least. Check. Check what? Oh, isn't that what you're supposed to say before you win? Yeah, but you're only supposed to say it if you... What the f-
Reminder to all Uncommon Commons residents that nobody likes a sore loser. Nobody. I'm not a sore loser. Nobody likes backtalk, either. Hey, it was really close there for a while. Good game. Yeah, yeah, good game. Well, are you happy now, PA system voice? A friendly reminder, all Uncommon Commons announcements are pre-recorded for your convenience. But wait, how did you- All announcements are pre-recorded. Thank you, and enjoy your stay. Uncommon Commons is a podcast. It was written and recorded by George Plank and Alex Vitale. Our theme song was composed by Charles Adam Robinson, and our logo designed by Sam Vitale. Our social media manager is Rebecca Tewksbury. Email us directly at zero nullstreet at gmail.com. Visit our socials or support us on Patreon at the link tree in the description below. Rate and review us wherever you get podcasts. Stay, and remember, nothing is real.